Hey, podcast listeners, this is Kobe from the Common Thread Podcast. Last semester, the fall of 2017, I spent abroad in Spain. And while I was there, I decided to record some podcast episodes about Spanish uh, politics and Spanish political life, um, both because it was a very interesting time to be there. Uh, the Catalonian uh, independence crisis was going on with a referendum and later an election to elect a new Catalonian government. And then uh, there's also just generally the fact that Spain has a very complicated history with with regional politics and nationalisms. And so in this episode, uh, we talked to Oscar Martinez Tapia, who is a professor at Nebrija University, as well as IE, uh, Instituto Empresa, both universities in Madrid. He studies political party formation, uh, particularly focusing on uh, regional nationalist parties in Spain. And we're going to get into that and what that means in this episode. The first part is really going to dig into a comparative case of Basque nationalism and what that looks like. And then we're going to move on to Catalonian nationalism and what exactly that looks like. In the latter part of this episode, uh, what we're going to look at is uh, the, the end of that topic that we started on, those regional nationalist parties. But we're going to sort of expand into the Spanish case generally, as well as what populism looks like in Spain versus in a global context of populism in Western democracies right now. And that's going to lead into a lot of questions of, of modern modernization and political systems. So we really hope uh, you like these episodes. They were very fun to record. And we wanted to thank uh, Professor Martinez for being with us and uh, sharing his knowledge. On the basis of your work, uh, I want to talk about um, peripheral nationalist parties, um, party formation, which is what you focused on, and uh, how that has progressed historically. So if we can dive into a sort of comparative look at mm-hmm. the way things have been handled in the Basque country, mm-hmm. um, which, which you identify as a sort of uh, a devolution game, a place where they can use their leverage, mm-hmm. the leverage of essentially ETA, of violence, mm-hmm. to extract concessions from the central government versus the strategy that's taken place in Catalonia. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can... If you can uh, sort of in a macro historical sense or at least since the beginning of democracy mm-hmm. analyze those two processes in comparison that'd be a, a really good place to start I think okay fantastic all right now let's start um, um, basically uh, with a little bit of a historical approach to this all right now now both nationalist uh, movements in um, in Catalonia and the Basque country they have been there since the late 19th century all right now the fact that um, Spain had not been a democracy, uh, proper democracy, let's say, modern democracy until the late 1970s, okay, left us with a whole century of like, like problem politics, okay, mm-hmm. between uh, especially these two regions, Catalonia and the Basque Country and Madrid, all right? Mm-hmm. Now then, uh, of course, in the 1930s, we had a little bit, we have five years of democracy, which is called the Second Republic, and at the end of the democracy, we had a civil war with the triumph of a dictator, Francisco Franco, that totally suppressed uh, any type of nationalism in the Basque Country and Catalonia, and this includes language and this includes any kind of a federal arrangement everyone was very centralized all right mm-hmm. so after 40 years of sort of um, undercover nationalism and nationalism movements one of which uh, is actually ETA the um, uh, terrorist band that started their uh, activity in the early 60s and they have been pushing for some sort of uh, uh, negotiated solution with the Spanish state Right. If you can real quick get into, first of all, the existence in the first place of PNV, um, Partido mm-hmm. Nacionalista Vasco, yes. 
uh, versus um, the uh, the later emergence of ETA mm-hmm. um, as the as the sort of um, the organization that didn't want to want to use the political mechanism in order to to get independence, but wanted to use violent mm-hmm. methods. Can mm-hmm. you talk about the history of those two organizations? Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, PNV or PNV, a Partido Nacionalista Vasco, um, had its origin uh, in the late 19th century. Okay, and this is basically uh, a typical nationalist uh, party. Uh, regional party in uh, uh, in Europe. Okay, mm-hmm. at that time there was a lot of uh, uh, nationalist movements coming from this romantic wave, and yeah. uh, you know all these uh, support for the local languages and local culture, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now this party PMV is essentially a conservative party. Mm-hmm. Okay, Catholic party. All right, that concentrates on uh, some sort of a, a racial purity of the Basques. Which obviously is problematic uh, to use genetics uh, mm. uh, for this, but you know at the time uh, it was it was pretty fashionable in Europe to uh, to talk in these terms. Now, uh, PNV had been playing the parliamentarian game uh, for uh, for a century, basically. Mm. Okay, they had no real connection with the terrorist. Now, the terrorist. Um, ETA movement started in the early 1960s, uh, 1959 to be more precise, um, and these guys are a typical, what we call a new left wave of terrorism, okay, new left wave of terrorism that, that sort of overlaps a little bit with the anti-colonial wave of terrorism. When you are uh, looking at the uh, literature on terrorism, we have four basic waves. The first one is an uh, an anarchistic uh, uh, or anarchist uh, uh, wave and then anti-colonial wave and then new left wave and then we jump onto the religious wave. Now, you know, so ETA, these guys are actually Marxist-Leninist with a twist of Catholicism, which is very weird, all mm-hmm. right? Which obviously tells you that, that you can build up uh, nationalist movements based on, 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 on many different and, and actually overlapping elements. Now, um, uh, these guys had traditionally had a very, uh, very uh, weak relationship with the uh, establishment of the PNUV. All right, there were some links, all right, but not very obvious in there. Okay, on the one on the one hand, would you have a PNUV? Um, uh, democratic, let's say, uh, political party, uh, conservative, uh, very much Catholic and based on the um, Basque land. On the other hand, you have uh, the Marxist-Leninist uh, ETA terrorists. Okay, so there's, there's no real connection other than both of them being tremendously Basque. Okay, so, so politically there's no connection because you have a center-right uh, Peneuve, uh-huh. and you have a Marxist-Leninist uh, ETA. Exactly. However, in a previous episode that we've dealt with nationalism um, mm-hmm. on the Common Thread, mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about Sabino and Rana and some of yes. the ideas that are arising in mm-hmm. the 19th century. Do both of these um, parties justify their Basque nationalism in some way from the same ideas in the 19th century? Yes, yes, absolutely. Right. I think I think they branch off from the same tree. Okay. All right, and and that's the the the, the uh, theoretical elements of the nationalism put together by Sabino Arana. Okay. All right. Now now uh, the elements are pretty much the same, but they are approach from different uh, uh, from different uh, elements or from different uh, sides all right now 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 
Gaeta is much more uh, left-wing liberation, uh, self-determination of nations, while PNV it's playing more of the, you know, we are Spanish, but we need to feel very special. All right? PNV had not really been that much of an independentist uh, sort of party, although they had some flirts with it. Uh, we will talk about it uh, uh, in a minute. But I think they feel comfortable within Spain, uh, Spain that acknowledges the difference of the uh, of the Basque people. And, okay. and there certainly are some differences in there that they need to be acknowledged. Right. And then in the transition to democracy, the PNV actually did not sign, or did not vote for the, um, uh, for the constitution. Okay. Right. Based on this idea that that you know it, it, it would not give them enough uh, autonomy, okay, to the okay. past country, they wanted more. Okay, while ETA, on the other hand, uh, during the transition to democracy, they split it off into the uh, military uh, side and the political side. Of mm. course, uh, there was no much uh, point in having. Uh, a terrorist movement and a democracy. All right. Now, some of these guys, they, they were, they were followed with certain sympathies by um, other Spanish people that did not like the Franco regime. They were fighting the Franco regime as a colonizing force. Right. right? Then, when Franco died, you know, these guys they split it off into, uh, into the army side, uh, which is obviously the one that was uh, causing more deaths, and then you know the more uh, sort of dialogue, di political dialogue based etapolitico militar okay so right. so these guys uh, they sort of blended uh, with the PNV somehow okay yeah. in putting um, on the front line of their political demands you know more and more autonomy and maybe if they pushed a little bit more independence okay? and, and that's specifically the branch of ETA that's political militar yes exactly okay, okay. and those guys did not want to kill anymore right okay so um, I think that's a, that's a really fantastic way to arrive at 1978 um, exactly. and sort of give that macro history mm -hmm. of the century prior. There's one last element, though, before we move from 1978 to the present mm -hmm. that I'd like to ask about is um, the origins of the cupola. Um, because if, mm -hmm. if, if Pene Uve uh -huh. is arguing that uh, they, they don't like the Constitution as a result of the fact that it doesn't give the Basque country enough autonomy, one of the primary counter-arguments to that must be that the cupola gives them, gives them the right to sort of control their own funds. So, Absolutely. Can you explain what that is, what the origins of that are, and then yes. how that was eventually incorporated in the 1978 Constitution? Yes, yes, of course. Now, um, you know, there, there are a couple of stories about, about how the Basque actually did get uh, this uh, financial autonomy, okay? But uh, the most, uh, the most uh, credible one is that uh, some king, which I don't remember the name, but it was in the 1800s, okay, and the Basques have been fighting, you know, against the invasions, you know, from the French, you know, Napoleon, yeah. that eventually, you know, got to Spain, and these guys were very brave fighting for the uh, uh, for the kingdom, all right, and then, you know, the um, the king uh, allowed them, okay, as a prize, okay, to collect their own taxes, mm -hmm. okay, so it's a very sort of pre-modern concept, all right? right, not only the Basque country, also also Navarra, okay. all right, which for the Basques, Navarra is part of these seven provinces of uh, right. traditional Basque land, all right, so, right. Uh, but, but, but officially right now they are separated regions. Right. But during, during the Civil War, um, was it the case that Navarra was, was a part of the sort of Basque? 
That's no, it has, it has never been. I mean, the north of Navarra, you know, wanted to actually be part of the yeah. Basque country. Then as you go south in Navarra, the, uh, the support sort of uh, right. comes down quite a lot. And just, just to paint a picture for listeners um, in terms of geography, mm-hmm. we're talking about the Basque country being at the, the sort of center north of Spain. Yes. Um, bleeding over into a separate Basque country into France. Exactly. And then uh, to the to the east of that, you have Navarra. Mm-hmm. To the east of that, you have Aragon. And yes. to the east of that, you have Catalonia, Catalonia. and the coast. Yes. yes. Just to paint the picture. So um, so we're saying that, the, that essentially the origins of the cupo are postulated to be that in the 18th century, mm-hmm. it was a reward for fighting off the French invasion exactly. and they maintain that uh, or sort of uh, reasserted that right at mm-hmm. the inception of the constitution mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes absolutely because um, I mean these are we need to understand the Basque people as very traditional people all right, right. and they really are attached to their lands uh, and they really are rich also it's a rich yeah. region okay yeah. it has like heavy industry you know now it's turned into services yeah. so there is a, an economic component of this uh, uh, of this nationalism like it normally is you know all around uh, Europe okay yeah. now um, this uh, Cupo Vasco or the Fueros Vascos okay yeah. this is how they are called um, they have been kept um, among other reasons, because it, uh, there was so much more headache to uh, turn them down during the transition to democracy, and this was something that was already established. There was an administration yeah. that was established, all right? So uh, I guess also in the late 1970s, you have to think that during the transition of, uh, to democracy, we are in an economic crisis. ETA is killing about 100 people a year, uh, mostly armed forces from Spain and army uh, army stuff uh, so i would assume that during the transition to democracy uh, the 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 founding fathers they thought that this was not really a good idea to touch anything related to the money of the basque uh, at the price of being uh, yeah. of, of of putting more fire onto the uh, onto the uh, putting more wood onto the fire right. uh, uh, of a conflict that was already there. Right. If we can just characterize too the the, the Spanish transition holistically, mm-hmm. it was a process of um, sort of you know to, to for lack of a better term renovating the Spanish political system mm-hmm. and, and turning it into a democracy. Yes. And it was led by elites. Um, yes. It's important to note because what happened was. Franco dies in uh, 1975, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, the power passes to Rey Juan Carlos, mm-hmm. who appoints uh, Adolfo Suarez, and the process is driven that way. And in order to get essentially a, a party of phalangists, of, of fascists, mm-hmm. um, to give to vote against their own political mm-hmm. interests, to give yes. up their power, you mm-hmm. have to make all sorts of compromises. And so mm-hmm. one of the compromises that you're saying that was made was that uh, you know the Basque instead of touching the Basque issue instead of messing it up and potentially inflaming the issue mm-hmm. that was one of the many things that might have been papered over in the transition Absolutely. in order to in order to sort of assemble this democracy mm-hmm. um, now that we've hit democracy and we've sort of hit the meat of what you've worked on in your paper mm-hmm. I want to talk about the way um, the approval of the Spanish Constitution then affected that party formation. So mm-hmm. Pena Uve had, you said, not supported the 1978 Constitution, mm-hmm. the Constitution mm-hmm. on the basis of it not having enough autonomy. So what te- steps did Pena Uve, mm-hmm. the, the regional political party, mm-hmm. then take? And then what te- the steps did Eta Politica, Politico Militar, who mm-hmm. wanted to renounce arms, mm-hmm. um, take in order to try to extract more concessions from the central government? Mm-hmm. 
Um, yes, you're very right in the you know, sort of a commitment-based and elite-driven uh, transition to democracy. Now, having said this, uh, one of the first things that uh, was put together by Adolfo Suárez and also uh, Felipe González and also the communist mm -hmm. um, was an electoral system. All right? This is right. the most essential part of uh, a democracy and not many people know about this. And of course, uh, I encourage all the American audience to look at their electoral system because uh, it is obviously improvable. In any case, yeah. um, in Spain, what we had is um, a proportional representation electoral system, which at the time, um, it was uh, manufactured to overrepresent the political parties, the major political parties, and they have geographically concentrated support. That is, you know, PNV in the Basque Country that is systematically overrepresented, and the nationalist parties in Catalonia, especially Convergencia Unión, which is the main um, political uh, nationalist political party in Catalonia. Now, this means that overrepresentation means that these guys they are going to get more seats than the votes that they receive. Right. All right. Yes. Sorry, if I could just interject mm -hmm. to, to sort of um, make a point is that, for example, um, Peneuve in the Basque country might have something like, let's say, 300,000 votes, mm -hmm. whereas the uh, Partido Comunista exactly. uh, might have a million votes mm -hmm. consistently, yes. election after election, but because those votes are, uh, votes are dispersed throughout in the entirety of Spain, mm -hmm. um, they're not going to be as represented in Parliament as are the as, as is Peneuve. Right? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So that's the way the system is designed from the inception. Of Spain. It is designed, and of course, this is no surprise for political scientists, because, you know, an electoral system is... It's, 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 uh, uh, it's actually launched in order to offer certain results that might favor stability and governability, but not so much democracy. Right. Right? So one man, one vote, and sorry guys to rain on your parade, it just doesn't exist anywhere in the yeah. planet. Yeah. All right? Now, not even in places like Sweden or Israel, that they actually have a very proportional representation electoral systems. Now, having said that, in Spain, it was very clear that we wanted to um, give a little bonus to the Basques and to the Catalans, um, so they would actually taste Power. Yeah. And when you taste power, you're supposed to actually calm down in your uh, political uh, demands and also try to domesticate the forces in your region. And here in the Basque Country, we're talking about the terrorists. I mean, it is very clear that the PNV was actually having conversations with the terrorists, just saying, well, you know, why don't we play this politically? All right, we do have a very good chance here in front of our eyes, you know, to build a nation within Spain, but with more autonomy than some of the Swiss cantons. And yeah. we are talking about a, f a confederation in Switzerland, all right? Yeah. So, uh, so again, um, it, is, it is totally elite-driven. And, um, and, 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 and the fact is that, you know, both Catalonia and the Basque Country, also in 1980, they had their Estatutos de Autonomia already in place. They have their parliaments, they have their political parties, their presidents, they have their, uh, uh, you know, super nice... Uh, uh, cars and palaces and they were actually tasting power and together with the Cupo Vasco in the uh, region um, they, they were going to be using their money and they were going to get a lot of money from the rest of the country so it was kind of a win-win situation of course within a democracy that will not 
suppress your culture, will not suppress your language, all right? And in fact, with the money and their politics that they were playing out, um, they were, um, they were uh, favoring the language, favoring the culture, and actually building this uh, nationalist base that had de facto meant in the region that they have been in power for, um, you know, 90% of the time uh, under these, you know, 40 years of uh, transition to democracy. So to get into the meat of what you're arguing regarding the, the way that leverage was used, can you discuss some of the ways that early on leverage was used in order to, uh, to increase uh, political power? And one of the things that we have discussed uh, before here is the way, for example, that uh, Feu, uh was had the capacity a lot of times to sort of, if not be the party in power in mm. Catalonia, mm. Um, be the sort of kingmaker um, at the national political level by aiding Pepe in creating a, a coalition. So, mm -hmm. for instance, the the first uh, uh, Athnar government um, was created that way. Mm -hmm. So, can you talk about some of the ways that um, that that sort have of political? Leverage has been used in order to get more rights in the Basque country, more autonomous rights in the Basque country, versus the way that Penuve, um might have utilized the terrorist extremism of ETA to mm -hmm. sort of giving them a little bit more leash to mm -hmm. uh, leash to maneuver mm -hmm. in order to get certain rights. Yes, uh, it's a good question. Now, initially, uh, we have to um, think that both types of nationalism in the Basque country and in Catalonia, they're rather different from each other. Right? Okay. Now in the Basque country, it's more based on tradition, it's more based on uh, their culture, but uh, sort of folklore, if you want to put it that way. Um, it is based on their isolation, traditional geographical isolation is based on, you know, how tough these people are. So if you allow me the expression, Basque nationalism is much more pre-modern, almost primitive. Right, and and that that is not to say that that there's anything wrong. It doesn't have any pejorative connotations attached to it, but it's more kind of land-based, all right. And 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 in fact, uh, you know, most of the nationalism in the Basque Country, or most of the radical nationalists in the Basque Country, they are in Gipuzkoa and in the small villages lost in the mountains. That uh, they are more isolated, you know, from the big city uh, life. Right. Uh, just to say, uh, Gipuzkoa is, is one of the just to notice, it's one of the regions within the Basque Country, or one of the uh, what they would call, I guess, uh, one of their own provinces. Right? Yes, yes. There are three provinces in the Basque Country officially, according to the constitution, uh, Gipuzkoa, uh, uh, which capital is San Sebastian. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's closer to France. That's the yeah. closer to France. And then you know, next to it, uh, there's Vizcaya. That's yeah. the capital is Bilbao. Yeah. Right, and this is traditionally more socialist, and then you know Gipuzkoa that is more PNUB oriented. All right, and then you have Alaba, which is the southern province. All right, sort of in the in the lower tip of the triangle, of the inverted triangle, and uh, and that's much more Spanish-ist. Okay, in the sense that it's closer to Castilla, and the uh, nationalist attitudes are a little bit more blended with other uh, political uh, views. Right, and and then just to elaborate on your point, when you said that it's a more traditional mm -hmm. um, form of nationalism. I just wanted to note that that actually manifests itself in the way that Spaniards and and the Basque 
um, uh, present the, the sort of comedy of the situation. Like if you look at political comedy on mm -hmm. the basis of Basque nationalism, yes. a lot of it is on the basis of the traditionalism of Basque culture. Absolutely. Um, yes, yes, yes. And uh, so, so, so Basque nationalism had always been a little bit more based on uh, political force and physical force, if you, if, right. you, if you allow me to put it that way. Now, while in Catalonia it has always been a more sort of, I mean, smarter, if you, if you, if you um, and I'm going to elaborate on yeah. this. Now, um, Catalonia traditionally had um, a large bourgeoisie based in Barcelona. This bourgeoisie traditionally uh, through the 20th century had been much more collaborationist with Madrid. In fact, uh, most of the markets of the uh, uh, products of the um, Catalan bourgeoisie, they were actually placed in, in Spain or in the colonies that Spain uh, used to have. So in that sense, uh, Barcelona and Madrid, they have been much closer than San Sebastian and Madrid. And hence the surprise after 2008, when these guys, they took the independentist route that had been very minoritarian in Catalonia, extremely minoritarian and exclusively left-wing. Mm. All right. While in the Basque country, PNV, which is conservative right-wing party, they had been flirting with the idea of independence. Uh, not very clear, of course, in their uh, in their writings and and in their political uh, statements. But uh, but certainly in the Basque country, uh, independentism say runs through the um, ideological scale from left to right. While in Catalonia, it had only had a very small sort of uh, itinerary or trajectory on the left wing, on the Esquerra Republicana de Catalonia. Sí. And that, uh, we will have the chance to talk about it in a minute. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the big mistakes of the uh, uh, President Puigdemont and before Puigdemont, uh, Artur Mas, that they had been creating a monster and that was not initially within their political program, within right. the political ideology. Right. We'll, we'll get to that. I mm -hmm. definitely want to get to that. But let's let's stay on on um, Pais Vasco for a minute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so then the manifestations of this. Um, uh, you know, what are some some sort of historical examples of uh, of this PNV led leverage game? Well, I mean, you know, for some time during the transition, during the first 20 years of the transition to democracy, remember that after 1982 until 1996, uh, Felipe González was a socialist uh, prime minister in Spain, and the Socialist Party had a much more friendly approach towards the idea of federalism. Right. All right. Now, um, of course, while the PSOE and Felipe González were in power, there was an open devolution game with all the regions in Spain. Uh, but the problem with this is that the the the, the engineering of the of the of the constitution uh, sort of uh, it's it's based on the um, uh, negotiation ad hoc of every region with Madrid, of their Estatuto de Autonomías. So, you know, the Basque Country and uh, Catalonia, they had a much more visible and much more active role in negotiating, while other regions, remember that we have 17 Comunidades Autonomas in Spain, uh, 
and comunidades autónomas for the American audience, they are de facto federal states, uh, like, you know, Ohio or New Hampshire or uh, Florida in the United States. And they have very similar competences and very similar uh, political autonomy and, and, and financial autonomy. Now, in terms of financial autonomy, of course, the Basque country is much more than that. So, right. you know, to answer your question, um, all through the 1980s and early 90s, Um, I think the PNUB that was in power in the Basque country, in the region, the regional uh, power, they have a, they have a parliament uh, in the uh, Basque country and they have a president and they had uh, quite a lot of power and they were somehow negotiating with Madrid based on the fact that ETA was actually also killing. So the problem was more ETA than PNUB. PNUB was actually playing the game because it was a beneficiary uh, uh, for them. Now, some of the political parties that uh, were representing the radical ETA followers were also legal and they were competing right. in the Basque uh, uh, political system and they actually uh, got two seats in Madrid, right. uh, these guys. Did, did Bildu exist at this point or was this... Was this that, that no, the, Bildu is the continuation of oh, okay. a, a coalition of radical parties uh, that started out in the late 1970s with this branch of uh, ETA Uh, Politico-Militar that was called Erri Batasuna. Okay. All right, Erri Batasuna. Then Bildu um, came into existence after, uh, after the illegalization of political parties, nationalist, radical nationalist parties in the um, Basque country uh, after 2002. Uh, okay. Jose Maria Aznar actually illegalized these parties and then they came back into existence after 2007. Okay, okay. so we'll, we'll, we'll get back to Bildu then. But then mm -hmm. um, in, your, so, so in your PhD dissertation, um, you examined the party manifestos mm -hmm. um, and so can you tell us what what you got from looking at that yes um, now that we have a sort of sense of the, of the mm -hmm. history of Penelope yes it's very interesting because um, uh, what I uh, what I my, my the main question of my dissertation is that if democracy has a better record at solving the territorial disputes, because it has okay, yeah. a certain type of democracy that we call consensus democracy, in which the institutional arrangements are, 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 are based on, on, on this idea of, of redistribution of political power, uh, a second chamber that could act as a, as a federal chamber, and an electoral system that will be uh, creating a multi-party system, etc., etc. So if democracy has a better record of solving the uh, territorial disputes, why in Spain the territorial model was widely contested. Mm -hmm. All right, that's, yeah. that's my initial question. And uh, my answer had to be that nationalist parties and their elites, they are inflating a problem that they leave off. All right, now if you think about it, now all political parties, they exist because of problems. Right? They aim to solve. Right? But in the case of nationalist parties, if there's no problem, there's no point in having nationalist parties. So the nationalist parties, they need to keep the problem alive, even if the problem is actually gradually solving. 
right? Mm. Now, um, what I did for my dissertation was to analyze the party manifestos and the salience of the center periphery dimension in their political parties from 1977 until actually 2008. And then now I'm looking at the new data until 2016. But what is interesting until 2008 is that when analyzed the salience of this issue in their political manifestos, you get that between one third and a half of the political manifestos of these nationalist parties, especially in the Basque country, not so much in Catalonia, they, they devote almost half of their party manifesto to this issue. And then I thought, well, you know, that seems to so be... To, to which issue? Uh, the the centre-periphery dimension. Basically, you know, to, 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 to ask for more and to somehow disregard right. Madrid and disregard the rest of Spain basically right. complaining. Basically right. complaining. To, to, to put, to put centre-periphery issues just in another way, just a greater degree of federalisation. Yeah, greater degree of federalisation and, and, and even, even uh, pushing for independence in some of the cases in the Basque yeah. Country, not yeah. in Catalonia. And then, and then I, I, I thought, like, let's, let's look at, at, first of all, let's look at how successful they are, electorally speaking. And from the beginning of the transition to democracy until 2008, there is a sustained decline in the support that nationalist parties are actually getting from the people. Mm. Well, until 2008, you said. Until 2008, yes. So that's, that's the turning point because of the economic crisis. Until 2008, when the economic crisis hits, does it have to do with an economic situation that's improving? Is that one of the reasons that why, why they're losing support? Money matters, of yeah. course. Okay. Okay. And the conclusion until 2008 of, of a couple of papers that I wrote was that, you know, maybe, maybe people do, uh, and citizens in Spain, they do learn the democratic political culture and they start voting to political parties that will actually solve their problems and not remind them of the problem. Right. All right. right, right. All right. So, so that's an interesting idea. And of course, people are happier and forget about these tribal primary uh, associations linked with nationalism when things are good. They were receiving fewer and fewer votes. And then um, what I did also was, okay, now let's see, uh, let's look at survey data. And the survey data uh, was pointing at that an increasing number of Basques and Catalans, they were happy and happier with the way in which the Estado de las Autonomías was actually working. Okay. Right now we are talking about, you know, like 60, 65% of satisfaction of the Basques and the Catalans of how the actual territorial model is working. So mm. the question is why these guys keep devoting half of their political manifestos to the problem if mm. the problem is gradually being solved. Of course, it goes with this idea that the elites, they need to keep inflating this problem because at some point, um, there's going to be a moment in which we can capitalize on that problem. And that problem, and that moment came in 2008 with the economic crisis, mm. right? Interestingly enough, we get to 2008 with the so-called Plan Ibarreche 
in the Basque country. Ibarreche was the president of the Basque uh, country at the time. The president of the Basque country, Americans need to understand, is just the president of the state, okay, of the okay. Comunidad Autónoma. Uh, and they have a name called Len Dakari in Euskera, uh, which is fantastic and, and, and tremendously difficult language. But um, so the plan Ibarreche was very similar to the plan that the Catalans have or have been having up till today, basically to dis disconnect right. from Spain, right? Yeah. That plan Ibarreche was rapidly uh, moved on uh, and, and, and it disappeared from the political uh, sort of uh, front line uh, because there were other things to take care of. Among, all, among them, the definite um, uh, uh, truce of ETA in the Basque country. So mm -hmm. after, after the last attempt by the Basques, that was the Plan Ibarreche, the Basques sort of retired okay, to some sort of a communal or collective psychoanalysis in the Basque country, that this is where we are right now, mm -hmm. in which they have to think if they wanted to live with that political tension on the streets. Uh, I mean, there are fabulous... Uh, stories. There's there's one book that that has become a bestseller in Spain based on the on the Basque uh, conflict and the the, the 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 problems between families that that are so close or that were so close called Patria by Fernando Aramburu yeah. is an exceptional book. Exceptional book. <laughs> I just want to note that this is just totally just a personal side note here, but uh, I'm living with a Spanish family right now and they just lent me the book. They said, you have to read it. You have to read it. Everyone <laughs> yeah. has to read it. And probably you will not be surprised if, if there, there'll be a translation in English available. Uh, yeah. I hope so. Now, uh, as a side note, also they're preparing a, a TV show uh, based on the book. Uh, really? Uh, you know, for the Basque Country. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, which would be very, very interesting. Yeah, I actually, uh, I'm, I'm going to include a link on the Please do. website we published this yes. on uh, to, the, to the Amazon description of the book or something of the sort. But uh, to come back to your point, so so basically what you're saying is that um, the nationalist parties, their support is being drained by the sort of but by, by the by the support of most of the population mm -hmm. uh, of the arrangements of yes. the estatutos. Yes. And because of because of that, the political elite need to sort of just kind of keep the keep the fire on the center. They need to keep this fire going just a little bit because they know there's going to be an opportunity at some point. They don't know what it's going to be, mm -hmm. but when that opportunity comes, they know that's when they're going to pour some more oil on the fire and light it back up. Absolutely. And so that fire turned out to be the crisis. Is what yes, you're yes, absolutely. And and uh, so so they have to wait for this opportunity, which eventually came in the in the shape of a crisis. Now again, for the Basque country, they sort of retired uh, and and and. They stopped right. really creating problems. So, so can I ask, uh, um, on that basis then, um, can we talk about how ETA came to give up its arms? Mm -hmm. um, and, and then can we talk about what were, the, what were the mechanisms through which they kind of kept this fire on simmer mm -hmm. while they were slowly being drained of support? Aside from just plugging 50% of their programs with nationalist Mm -hmm. um, proposals. Mm -hmm. What were the ways in which they sort of stoked the flames? I mean, obviously, when you do have a regional uh, uh, government, uh, yeah. which is uh, uh, under your, uh, you know, you, uh, under your thumb, let's put it that way, uh, you do have access to um, touch uh, on education, right? Of course, uh, 
is associational life uh, you know different ways in which you can promote the local culture and uh, there's a lot of money for different initiatives on promoting the uh, local language uh, now uh, we could discuss if uh, they went a little too far in terms of indoctrination of the younger population uh, you know for the future uh, for the future nationalist movements that will come uh, and of course it will always stay somehow uh, alive because uh, they live in, in in a country in which the main political power is in Madrid and they never some of them they're never going to like that but but they 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 had a lot of regional power to keep the flame alive even if now it's just kind of half flame of half gas and yeah. they have uh, I mean to put it to put it in terms that that most people can understand it I think the Basques, they got tired of being those guys. Right. And, you know, common sense finally um, came about. Right. And, 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 of course, these guys, they, 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 they are now using the common sense because they realize that they can go farther and they can get much more if they go political. Right. Uh, which comes to the other region, Catalonia, which is almost... Difficult to believe that that they have gone into this collective madness without the necessary support, right. because uh, of course for the Basques, okay, let's go back to two thousand and eight and then build yeah. back from there. Yeah, yeah. All right, if you if you if yeah. you can, if you will. Now, two thousand and eight, the Basques, okay, they go back to the Basque country and then they decide to play politics. Now, ETA starts to uh, uh, drop the weapons gradually until 2011 when they announced their unilateral ceasefire, uh, which has been kept, and we're all happy about this, and I'm sure that the first ones to see the differences were the Basques of the right. streets, because right. it was very much, very much on your face, very much on your face. It could be, you could breathe the tension uh, 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 walking down the streets of San Sebastian, and 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 it's a shame for such a nice people, nice place, nice city, and rich culture. Yeah. All right. Now, then comes Catalonia. Um, Catalonia until two thousand and eight, as you rightly say before, um, they have been um, the main sort of um, leg uh, for. Governments in Madrid, whenever uh, the Socialist Party or the Conservative Party, Pepe, did not get an, an absolute majority of the votes, right. right? So they needed to, you know, fill in uh, to get enough seats and, uh, and votes uh, in Parliament to get a, a majorities and to pass the laws. And the Catalans had always been there, right? Okay, and for that reason, they could they could extract. Concessions. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 the blackmailing game. Right. Uh, so, so in that case, if we look at it, if we look at Catalonia through that model, um, why, what sort of concessions with, was they trying to extract back then versus the sort of concessions that they're trying to extract now? Uh, I mean, I think right now there's no clear list of concessions that they want to get. Everything has been sort of clouded by this amorphous and ambiguous independence, mm -hmm. uh, which we don't really have a decalogue of measures that they would right. like to implement. I mean, uh, right. so far the only thing that we can get out of this 
uh, ambiguous declaration of independence is that uh, they want to be uh, they, they, they want all the power for themselves but before that they were getting education they were getting their own police forces they were getting the management of um, a health system uh, they were getting the management of uh, transportation public transportation trains airports right. I mean we're talking about a solid chunk of power that they were controlling again some regions within federal states would not even dream of having as much power as right. these guys have. I mean, this goes back to your point earlier that, that they have so much more power than, let's say, a canton in, in, Switzerland. in Switzerland. Yes. Which is a confederation. Exactly. Um, and so, and so the, the two things I want to zone in out of what you listed, though, are Mosul de Esquadra. They have their own police force, which they've had uh, since, I think, the inception of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. But then also... I mean, I don't think it can be understated the significance of their capacity to control the education system. Mm. Because if they can control the education system, then what they can do is they can train a new generation in the myths of Catalan nationalism. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that's, that's uh, invaluable to, to, to keeping that on, to, yes. to keep it to stoking the flames as you're talking about, to keeping that on simmer. Absolutely. I mean, you don't have to be, uh, to read Machiavelli. Uh, in order to know that uh, you can indoctrinate people and, and this is what we all do. I mean, I try to indoctrinate my students too. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, anyone working in the media, try to indoctrinate. The, so, so If you're I listening mean, now, you're being indoctrinated. <laughs> yes, exactly. You are being indoctrinated uh, and, uh, and this is my way of indoctrinating. I think it's, 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 uh, it's, a, it's a tolerant one in yeah. any case. <laughs> yeah, all right? and because, yeah. because we really appreciate both the Basques and the Catalans as part of Spain and, and yeah. And I don't think many people desire to see them away because they are they are brothers. They're right. brothers, and, and it'd be yeah, it'd be a shame to to to, to just sort of express in um, an anecdotal fashion th that view hmm. is that you know I was, uh, we were we were talking to um, some Spaniards last night that we were at dinner with mm -hmm. and. Um, we were talking about the fact that the, the, the girl I was speaking with had never been to Catalonia. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, you know, you, you, know, you got to go to Barcelona. I was just there. It was fantastic. And mm -hmm. she said, yeah, of course I want to go. Of course I want to go right now. Nonsense. You know, there's nonsense going on right there. Mm -hmm. And so I think the, the sentiments that I've uh, understood from Spaniards mm -hmm. is that there's nonsense, quote unquote, going, going on right there. But then as this situation sort of starts to heal itself, mm -hmm. as this sort of wave of of of, um, indep of of independent political sentiment sort of dies down, mm -hmm. um, then it's going to go back to that normal relation. And there's there's an openness on the part of the Spaniards in Madrid that I've met um, to to Catalans and and to Catalonia, right? Yeah, yeah uh, it's it's a family. It's a, it's a family business. Uh, yeah. Okay, now sometimes in families you do have brothers that they work a little harder that they like maybe money a little more than, than the other brothers or sisters, uh, that they feel entitled to ask for a difference uh, or a different treat uh, by um, you know, the, the rest of the family. Now, all this could be negotiated uh, within the family. And, and of course, there are sentiments that... Um, uh, understandable that, that some people in the rest of Spain do not understand why these guys they want to go because of course most of us we do know that Catalonia is receiving a lot from Spain they also uh, add in and, and contributing an enormous amount uh, to the richness of, of this beautiful country but um, it's not easy to understand 
the manipulation of the uh, message. Uh, it's not easy. We all manipulated, of course, okay, depending on, on, on where you are in Madrid. You know, we also manipulated if you watch the, uh, the, the public uh, uh, news uh, on, on the public channels too, uh, because the, the, the Madrid government has certain uh, amount of influence there. But in any case, I think we, have, we, have, we need to transcend uh, all these elements and, and then, you know, talk to the human factor. And, 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 and no, a lot of people want to uh, see these guys to go. Now, on a, on a, on a side note, Something that I think Americans might like to um, uh, listen to uh, is just this story that it is true that Barcelona, especially Barcelona, um, is receiving an unmanageable number of tourists. Yes. Yeah. All right. Now, tourism, I think, is a latent uh, factor for this sort of radicalization of independentist movements right now we come from this last summer in which uh, there was this attack of uh, tourismophobia in Barcelona and this comes mainly from radical anti-capitalist anti-globalization uh, Marxist uh, groups uh, that they have something to say in the politics of the region uh, through this political party called CUP, C-U-P, uh, Candidatura de Unidad Popular. Now, I do believe that the, um, the climate of the citizenship was pushed towards radicalism based on the fact that it is true that Barcelonians and Catalans are having a harder time living in their city and yeah. not, not just finding a bar to go and have some reasonably priced, reasonably good food, which, you know, with tourism is becoming increasingly harder also in Madrid, but also with the fact that they can, I mean, young people cannot pay for the prices of the housing in the city. Right. Now, the neighborhoods are totally being gentrified with this Airbnb movement uh, that is pushing people out of the city. Now, this needs to stop at right. some point, and I think... Uh, there's a little bit of a contamination of independentist movements yeah. and a lot of people that would like to be independent as if independence will result in more and better management of the tourism in the city. Right. And, and let's, I mean, let's just note on like in a geographical sense, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of cities when they receive this sort of inundation of tourism, mm. Uh, and so on and so forth can expand, but Barcelona is geographically constrained. On yes. one side is the ocean, on the other side is mm. mountains. And so uh, it, it's actually kind of remarkable to go up uh, if you look from, let's say, Park Well, uh, mm. which is sort of behind the city and the mountains, and you're looking down at the mm. city, yeah. you can see these beautiful rooftops. You see all sorts of uh, yeah. sort of orangey colors mm. on the rooftops. You see the whole city. Mm. But what you also notice is that you see the sea, and then you see mountains on every side. And it's this little, mm. almost island of, of extreme urban urbanization mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. trapped and so the only place to go is up mm -hmm. which changes the character of Barcelona uh, and if you're if you're going to constrict the supply by not going up then you're going to increase the prices mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's a really difficult situation to deal with but it's also as you mentioned somewhat of an illusion to believe that independence might better manage the tourist issue and that's that's the illusion but uh, I mean it is it is certainly um, a problem. It is certainly a problem because because uh, tourists uh, uh, they change the city. 
they change their way of life. They change the culture. It's a catch twenty two. Is that this you know one wonderful uh, sort of uh, miserable uh, problem? Okay, that we do have because everyone wants to come to Spain and they want to go to Barcelona, but Barcelona is no longer Barcelona, and Madrid is soon not going to be Madrid. Right. Uh, so you know, the lonely planet is going to have to rewrite the chapters on Spain because uh, <laughs> uh, it's not going to be uh, there anymore. That kind of Spain. It is a real problem, but it is also the problem that allowed us to be rich. Yeah. Uh, so how can you kill you know the 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 golden egg chicken, uh, or how can you manage it uh, yeah. in a way that would be sustainable? Now that has something to do, I believe, with nationalism. Nationalism, remember, it's you know Catalonia for the Catalans, Catalonia first. If you want to uh, uh, make a little bit, uh, expand it a little bit more, you know, to this uh, nationalist idea that that is sweeping um, through uh, Europe, yeah. uh, it's not only Spain. Is is but Spain? Let's uh, remind the American audience: this year is going to overtake uh, France as the most visited country on Earth. Uh, we are going to reach apparently 80 million visitors. Now, for a population of 46, now this is almost doubling the um, doubling the um, the population of the country. And on average, every tourist leaves uh, like a hundred euros a day. And we are talking about how to make them spend more. Now, the whole model needs to change because it cannot, it is not sustainable. It is not sustainable. And of course, you know, we don't have water. Uh, soon we're going to have problems with electricity. It's going to be too expensive. Now the winter's coming. It doesn't rain. Now, now all this sort of deviates from the topic right. that we, um, that we have in this uh, podcast today. But uh, I need to remind the, um, the, 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 the listeners that, that everything is related to everything, especially in the social sciences, in the political sciences. There is no one single factor that explains everything. So we need to look at the, at the larger picture. And why not? We need to understand the Catalans. We need right. to understand the Catalans. And we need to tell them, uh, we feel you. Right. Well, it, it, is, it is precisely connected because if we're talking about COOP, for instance, yes. absorbing some of the anti-tourist sentiment that exists in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And then COOP being one of the active participants in Huns pel Si, which is the party that led this independent uh, mm -hmm. movement, mm -hmm. it's, it's directly related for sure, and it's a, it's a really big problem. Absolutely, and then again, you know, in, um, in, in Catalonia we have one of the um, uh, richest uh, party systems in Europe, actually, yeah. regional party system, also in the Basque Country. That means that there are a lot of parties, and that means that with a proportional representation electoral system, we're very rarely going to have just one single party cabinet that means that you need support from other parties minor parties in this case in this case uh, uh, coup yeah. uh, so that means blackmailing whether we like it or not that is democracy and we need to accept right. it all right and um, and of course um, these guys they do have their opportunity right now uh, but they're they're going to contribute to the debate according to their coherence of yeah. their message. And I think La Coupe, uh, the Coupe party is anti-system, anti-capitalism, anti-globalization, uh, anti-tourism, uh, and, and, and yet 
uh, internationalist, which of course every single one of these parties they have their own contradictions. Every single one of right. us, we have a lot of contradictions, and, yeah. and they play the contradictions out because you know it's the post-factual world, uh, it's post-modernity. I mean, you can play yeah. with all your contradictions, and at the end of the day, uh, you sleep well at night. Now, <laughs> having said that, um, again, the political life in Barcelona and in Catalonia, it needs to be focused now on um, the electoral results of the uh, 21st of December. Hey podcast listeners, this is Kobe. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to that episode and learning about regional nationalisms in Spain, uh, particularly uh, in regards to the Basque case and to the Catalonian case. In the second half of this episode, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to broaden out from the Catalonian case and we're going to start looking at Spain holistically and Spain within the con context of Western democracies. We're going to look at how Spain's populism varies and differs from other forms of populism we're seeing in the West and then also how modernization is affecting civic habits. Also, I would like to make a quick note in regard to the fact that the December 21st elections that he referenced uh, have already happened since we recorded the episode. And the independentist parties, the three parties that led the coalition for a referendum, actually got power again. Uh, but it's important to note that the constitutionalist parties, or the main constitu constitutionalist party, Ciudadanos, uh, won the most votes out of any party. And the independence vote, in terms of just general popular vote, uh, ended up going 52% for the constitutionalists uh, rather than the independentist parties. But because they are able to form a coalition, the three independentist parties regained power. There are still some questions as to who's going to be invested with power because uh, the leaders of those parties are currently fugitives, either in self-imposed exile or in jail, but that remains to be seen, so stay tuned for further updates.